uh, just uh, in, in terms of uh, your bulletin, there's an announcement on the church campfire, which is going to be on the 17th. It says in our bulletin that Saturday. It's really going to be Friday, so it's Friday night. Um, just want to have you make sure that you correct that to, so that we don't have you come on Saturday and find nobody here. But we had a good time uh, the last time, and we're going to do her again here coming up here soon. Hope you can come be a part of that. We'll hopefully have a few more games. And um, we had the threat the last time of rain, but we, we, uh, we made it through without getting rained on anyway. So, um, and uh, again, just um, next week, uh, the picnic. So that'll be fun. Hopefully uh, there'll be several of us that will be able to make that. We'll be able to attend that. So um, I want to invite you to open your book, if you, uh, your Bibles, if you would, to the, the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 we're going to be looking at today. Uh, it's the past couple of months for our family, uh, for Susan and I and the boys. And uh, we've just, since school has let out, we have really, I think, experienced some exciting things in our family. Um, most notably, I guess, for uh, probably some of the higher things or the more exciting things for, for Mike and Nate. The, a week uh, each at uh, um, Christian Harbor Youth Camp has been exciting for them, and, and they come back all charged up and all excited, and, and uh, we like to see that. And then, of course, uh, here just a few weeks ago, uh, as you know, we our family went to, to Life Fest, the, the Christian music festival in Oshkosh, and you it's kind of like going there and you're just getting your batteries charged and just getting really encouraged by so many things and just uh, time of worship, time of uh, friendships. and But it's just always exciting for, for me anyway to, to have those experiences where you just get filled, where God is just always, the He just becomes that central focus. You don't have to focus on anything else but, but upon Him and He just does some incredible things in your life. And I guess... I guess the term that we've oftentimes used that for that is, is mountaintop experiences. Uh, we've all had them, haven't we? I hope. I hope that we've had that. I, 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 I trust that you have had those mountaintop experiences thing before. But the thing is, is that when you leave those experiences, when you come back to society, when you settle back into the routine of normal life, or when you come back to reality, you realize once again that that the world really isn't perfect. It's not this, this utopian. Uh, it's, it's, I, I guess you, be kinda, you kinda come to the understanding that you know, everyone that you meet is not necessarily Christian, nor does, ev- does everyone have particular Christian attitudes, and that becomes apparent. You, you spend this time in this, in this kind of bubble for a while, and then you come back to reality. And yet the contrast that I think that you see between, between those kinds of experiences or any other Christian mountaintop experience and that the way that and the way that the world actually is it brings this subtle reminder to us that the Christian life it really um, is at times a bit demanding I mean not that 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 it should run that the world should run like a Christian camp but Christians have a place in this world even though the world is not our home and it seems to me that there Really, are some implications then of that of being Christian? There's some, there's some implications for you and for me of what it, what does it really mean what to to be Christian in this world? We, as you know, have been focusing on this uh, God story of redemption for some time now. 
Uh, we started in the book of Genesis where God declared that everything was good. And as you know, and we've, we've kind of reminded ourselves along the way that, that you and I or that mankind has really messed things up. They messed things, you know, starting with Adam and Eve and it just continued to mess things up. And, and we, we do that. And from that point on, God has um, been drawing us back to himself into a relationship with him. And that is the story. That really is the story. God in Christ is in the process then of redeeming mankind. We, but we want to spend some time today in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians, by the way, is an amazing book. It is probably my favorite book of, of all of... Um, of all of Paul's letters anyway, and I, if, if you, I mean, it's short, such a short book, it'd be great to just kind of, to kind of go home and just read that all, just check that right off today, you know, maybe go home after church and read through the book of Colossians, because it's just such an amazing book, um, but I, um, we don't have time to cover all of it today, but, you know, in terms of a little, just a little context to kind of get us back up to chapter three, um, I maybe want to give you some of that to, to, to help you what, understand a little bit what, or to remind us a little bit of what's happened up to this point in this book. But Colossians chapter 1 really talks about, and we've, we've seen this theme, but it talks about the, 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 the lordship of Jesus Christ, the, the fact that he is Lord over everything, that he is sovereign, that he is ultimately um, Lord over everything. And that really becomes clear as you read throughout all of Scripture, but but, but Paul particularly makes that point and brings that, brings that home pretty clearly if you read through chapter 1. So if you're taking notes just you know, and, and you want to go home and read Colossians, just write, Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. And, and look, for that, look for that imagery and, uh, in that. In fact, I'll, I'll share a little bit of that here in just a few minutes. Colossians chapter 2. Um, that's a tough chapter, by the way. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that only in Christ do we find salvation. Only in Christ. That is a very exclusive claim that it's only Jesus Christ and only through him that we can find salvation. So when you get to Colossians chapter 3, though, it's, uh, there's a really kind of a sudden shift. It's, it's, uh, it, it comes from this understanding of it. It shifts from just this, not just this, um, uh, from this, understanding of Jesus as, as Lord, um, but it also moves into a very practical application of what that really means for our lives. And, and that really may be the difficulty of the, of, of the Christian faith, because I think it's a lot easier to talk about what the faith, what, what the Christian faith should be, than it is to put our faith into action. And, and what I want to share with you today is really, really very simple. Um, I, I think that it answers the question, what does a Christian look like? What does it mean for us to set our sights on Christ? What, is it, what does a believer look like? What does a redeemed person, what do they look like? And it seems like to me that Colossians chapter 3, it paints for us a picture of what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I want you to notice, first of all, the first verse, when Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now that is a command, by the way. A command that expects us to continually, uh, it expects some continual action. It, it, not just, it's not just a, a one-time event, but this is rather keep setting your hearts on things above. 
We are to keep seeking the kingdom. We are to make that a lifestyle choice. That our lives are characterized by seeking things above. Well, what would that look like if that were true? Uh, another, I mean, how would you recognize someone who has really taken seriously the lordship of Jesus Christ in his or her life? Someone who is really interested in being everything that God wanted him, to, him or her to be. Well, I think that the first four verses begin giving us those characteristics. And I think that we would characterize ourselves um, as those who set their, um, their sights heavenward. Those who set their sights heavenward. I want you to read those uh, along with me, if you would, uh, those first four verses. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, he says, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he says in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Set your sights heavenward. I think that Colossians is very clear that we, you and I, we are new in Christ. What's, um, what's the name? I was just thinking of my Matthew West's song, um, Day One for the Rest of My Life. I just, that's a neat song. I mean, just every day. We're new in Christ. We're new in Jesus Christ. And that's really what this book is talks about. If, if, if you look at the first chapter and you look at verse number 13 of that, he, what, what, what the Apostle Paul has said is this, is that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It's saying that we're new. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of, the, of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I mean, we're new. He says in, in verse number 28 of that same first chapter, he says, We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We're new, right? At chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Or verse 13 of chapter 2, You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. And when that was true, he says, God made you alive having canceled those things out, we're new. It is a simple truth that Christians have, in fact, become new people in Jesus Christ. A part of that process was uh, the experience of Christian baptism. I mean, that's really the nature of what Paul is talking about here. Uh, notice uh, chapter 3 in verses 1 and 2. He says, since you have been raised, he says, and, and, and see, that's the imagery. You see that? It, it, it's taken right out of the second chapter, right in the very heart of chapter 2. He talks about being buried with Christ, being raised up to walk a new life. And that's the image, that if you have been passed through that, that experience, that if you've, you've come to grips with faith in Christ and obedience in Christ and have been raised up with Christ, then there are some things that ought to be true about you and me. One commentator says, about this particular passage. He says, the one who has been raised with Christ 
sees things from an eternal perspective and so should aim that his life on earth should be dominated by the pattern of life seen in a glorified Christ. Well, at what do we aim then if we aim heavenward? If, if we look upward, at what do we aim? Well, there's three things that I think that this text about, talks about in just those four verses that we looked at. But let me just first suggest, in, in verse 1 in particular, this, this radical change that has taken place, and, um, and we begin to aim to make every thought captive to Christ. Every thought captive to Christ. Our focus is to be continually on Christ. Now, Paul has said that really in other places. If you remember, he reminds us of that in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, that, the, that the first change that takes place, he says, it, he says it, it takes place in the mind. Do you remember that? Do you recall that passage where he says, uh, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of the mind. Um, by experiencing a renewal that takes place in the mind. It, it's really important that we understand, I think, what the proverb writer has said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Paul told the Corinthians that they were to take every thought captive to Christ. Now, we, we really shouldn't understand that to mean something simple. I mean, like I'm going to always think holy thoughts or, or I'm going to only go around thinking Christian thoughts. That's, I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. I don't think that's what he means. I think what Paul is getting at in Colossians and, and I think in 2 Corinthians both is that every Christian needs to bring Christianity to bear on every area of their life. Well, let me put it this way. In our home, I think all of you have been to our home. In our home, we have several rooms. And when Susan wants to play the piano, there's a room for that that she goes to. And I have an office where I do some reading and I do some studying there. And, some, and, and uh, Susan has an office where she spends a lot of time for her work. And when it's time for us to go to sleep, Susan and I have our own bedroom. And Mike and Nate each have their own rooms. Just wanted to make sure that you understand that we're, we're, it's not, we, we don't all separately have bedrooms. We, we have our own Mike and Nate do. Just didn't want you thinking anything was wrong there. That, but, but anyway, we know where to go when it was time to sleep. For entertainment time, we, our family moves into the living room. If we want to cook something, we go to the kitchen. If we, when we sit down to eat, we move to the dining room. Most of all of our sports stuff is in the garage. And uh, we have a utility room. We have a laundry room. And incidentally, that's where the dogs have their kennels. And so even our dogs have their own rooms um, to, to stay in. But, but aren't you like that, though? I mean, you, you've got a place for everything. We, 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 it all kind of fits night. And part of the difficulty, I think, is that that's the way that we sometimes or oftentimes do our lives. We carry our politics into the living room part of our lives. We have jobs in the garage because that's where the car is and that, that, that gets us to work. And, and, and we may have our sports and our athletics in a certain closet. And we may have our education in yet another room. And we may even have our family life in yet another room. But somehow that is never pervaded by our faith. Somehow our Christianity, it's really occupied a room. I mean, we're willing to give God a part of our life. 
We're willing to let God come in and take a place. And on Sunday morning, we know which room to find Him in. But when it comes time to make important life decisions, how do you make a decision? Does your faith have anything to do with how you make decisions? When it comes time to decide how to do your job or what job to do or or what job to encourage your children to do, or does the faith of Jesus Christ have anything to do with that? When it comes time to make moral decisions, does the faith have anything to do with that? See, what Paul is talking about is that every area of our lives belongs to Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you'll be marked by letting Christianity affect every choice you make. Every choice. Well, not only do we aim to take our thoughts captive to Christ, I think secondly, Paul says in verse number three of this text, he says that we will aim to take seriously the call to die. The call to die. Paul says we have died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said once, he said, when Jesus bids a man come, he bids him come and die. Now, if I were to say that to you, that probably wouldn't mean much because I'm right here talking to you, right? I'm obviously not dead. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Lutheran, German Lutheran preacher in the late 1930s. He, was the one, he actually said that from a prison cell just before they hung him. He knew what he was talking about when he said, when Jesus bids a man come, he bids him come and die. And, but isn't that what Jesus said? Right? Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, he'll do what? If anyone wants to be my father, he will take up his cross and follow me. The cross in the New Testament, it it only meant one thing. It was only used in one way. It was only one instrument. It was an instrument of death. And so what's happening here? I think that what Paul is saying is that Christians have this experience when, when they come to faith in Christ that is, that is just something that is so absolutely genuine and they have died to themselves. That's what repentance is about. It's, and why would you have buried somebody if they hadn't died? That's probably one of man's greatest fears. Um, I, heard, I heard this in... Um, once I, I read about this uh, quite quite some time ago, but this is a true story. There's a guy who actually in, and had had it in his will or something. They installed a telephone in his casket because just in case somebody buried him alive, he wanted to be able to call out and let them know that he was still alive. <laughs> it's incredible, though, this fear that we have of death. But isn't that what baptism is about? You don't bury live people. This thing is only valuable because people have already died. They've died first. And and what they have done is that they have died to themselves in Christ through repentance so that they can be buried and then raised to walk in new life, new in quality, new in character. We've died. 
Well, Paul says it this way in another place. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The old attitudes, all of those old selfish ambitions, all of those things that that used to get under our skin, all of those things, they've gone away. Or should have, right? If they haven't, it can only mean one thing. Somebody's still alive. And Christ, Paul says, that we have died. And that changes how we live. Changes how we live. And then finally, a person who sets his sights heavenward, aims to take every thought captive to Christ. They aim to take seriously the call to die. And in verse number four, Paul says that we will aim to take eternity into every consideration. You see, we're going to be with him. We will be with him. On Friday, we visited my sister in St. Paul, and we went... um, to a car show in downtown St. Paul. My brother-in-law, Bill, um, has a 67 Camaro that he's owned since he was in, actually, I think he got out of high school, he went in the Marine Corps, came back out, bought this Camaro. Um, it's a pretty sweet car. It's pretty nice. Um, and if you want to find him on a Friday night from June all the way to September, you got to go down to uh uh, North St. Paul, and uh, he'll be down there next to his car. Uh, in fact, in 2015, he actually got, on his way to that car show, he got T-boned with this one here. He showed me the pictures of it. It's like you just want to cry, you know. Um, cost him $30,000 to fix that up back to where it was. Actually, the insurance kicked in quite a bit of that. But it used to be green, now it's blue. I think it started out white. Um, in back in the 1960s or 70s, I guess. Um, but he got T-boned on that, and they, they fixed her up and, and did a good job, and he actually went through and, and, and fixed it up, got rid of all the rust. He had somebody go all the way through it. And anyway, we had a great time looking at some of those old cars, and I saw a bunch of them that resembled some of the ones that I had owned back in the 80s. I mean, there are some cars, I mean, you have to admit, there are some that they call classics that really shouldn't be thrown in that category. I mean, they, they still don't look particularly well. You know, I mean, they had a bad reputation back then, they still do. Um, they just, there's nothing you can do with them. They're always going to be ugly. Um, and yet I, I, I caught myself kind of remembering back to my high school days when, well, there was a time when I asked my dad for some help to find a car. <laughs> And if I'm remembering this right, my dad was looking for a car that would, would be reliable for me and would be safe and could get me to you know, school and back and do you know, all the things that needed to be done. And he found a car that, that he thought would be just that. The problem is that my dad and I were on two different planets because I was looking for something that would impress my friends. And the truth is that I found a car that I really liked, and, and against my father's advice, I decided to buy it. And you know what happened, don't you? I did. I actually did buy it, and I bought that car, and three weeks later, the rear quarter panels popped out, 
And it wasn't too long after that that, uh, well, actually what the, the owner had done is he'd taken some sheet metal, pop riveted it on, and threw on a little bit of paint, and he traded it into the, to the, um, to the dealership. And, but it wasn't long after that, a couple weeks after that, the leaf, leaf, springs act, leaf springs actually popped up through the trunk. And the car only made it through the rest of the summer. And then I, I think I, was, I made a trip over into Duluth from Grand Rapids to Duluth. You know where that's at. Went to Duluth, and on the way back, I was just outside of Duluth, and the car quit. <laughs> hundred miles from home. Don't we sometimes have those same problems, though? We have a hard time putting off until tomorrow what we would rather do today. I had a hard time as a teenager saying, you know, I need to put money away for college because what I really want to do is I want to go out and I want to buy a car or I want to go to the movies tonight. I, I wanted to experience the immediate rather than the long term. But see, isn't that the struggle I think that most of us go through with most of the decisions that we have in our lives? It's the immediate that, that really gets a hold of us because, because it, it, the long term is so far away that we just don't think or it just looks like to us that we really don't need to worry about it. And that's really, I think, as I look at our world and I, I observe our world, that's really the nature of what our world is like today, isn't it? It is so focused on the now. It's so focused on the immediate. And frankly, that's, that's really the thing that I worry most about, I think, as a father, is how do I teach my kids that, that they are to think beyond the immediate, to think long-term when our culture is telling them, no, you can have it now. You can have that experience. You can have those those, those, all of that right now. And I look at the news, I look at, frankly, I'm just tired and bored of watching the news. There's, it, it's all bad news, isn't it? Because, I mean, you, you, senators and evangelists and, and, and this guy and that guy are, you know, make, make, I mean, the scandals that are there, I mean, I, I don't need to remind you, I don't need to go through all of that, but the, the, I don't need to remind you, though, that we live in a fallen world. And yet I wonder of all the people who are facing the charges for embezzlement and fraud and conspiracy and, and, and uh, affairs and, and just all the stuff that you, it just makes your head spin, I wonder how many of them have asked themselves the question then, what do today's activities have to do with 20 years from now. See, it's the immediate that gets us because we don't think about the long term. See, here's what I believe. I believe that every decision has eternal consequences. And a lot of times we spend so much time making little decisions, buying cars and deciding what restaurant to eat at or what to do on our day off. Sometimes we spend so much time thinking about those, we put more effort into those kinds of decisions than we do the ones that really count. And Paul says if you're really setting your sights on Christ, if you're really setting them on, on your sights on things above, one of the things that will mark you is that you will take eternity into every decision. Every decision has eternal consequences. Now, there's really a lot more that we can get from this passage, and I really invite you to read through the rest of the verses uh, that are here at a later date. Uh, but, 
But we need to continually ask ourselves that question, where are we setting our sights? Because even though the Christian life can sometimes be a little bit demanding, there are some things that really ought to be true of you and me. Is our focus continually on, continually on Christ? Do we really take seriously the call to die? When we make decisions, do we take eternity into consideration? The person who sets their life on Christ, the one who has taken seriously new life in Christ, takes seriously the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He has new aims. He has new affections. He has new character. He looks upward. And I think that the challenge that this, that this text really presents for you and me is for you and I to give every area of our life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every room belongs to Him. To take every thought captive for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. God, that would be our aim. That would be our goal. To make you the central and most important part of our lives. Remind us, God, that we're just, uh, this world is not our home and we're just passing through. And sometimes we just, we, we start to put down the stakes and we, we really focus more upon all the things that are around us and we just forget that we're here and you've given us a job and there's so many things that are so much more important. It's not that, that some of these things are bad, it's just that, God, you really need to have our attention. Your agenda needs to become our agenda because, God, this world is, is falling, it's fading, it's passing away. And our hope is with you. Remind us of that as we enter into our communities, as we, as we visit with our neighbors, as we meet people at the stores, as we, as we go to our jobs, as we, as we talk to uh, the people who are friends. Wherever we are, maybe we're in a fishing boat. God, remind us that we're vessels, that we're people to be used by you, and we've got a greater purpose. Remind us that, that uh, not only of that purpose, but also to keep our hope and our trust, uh, to keep our focus upon you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?